Happy Sabbath to you all. It's truly a blessing to be in the Lord's house today. Especially when I want to share how I came to know Christ. Uh, let us pray first. Dear Father in heaven, I'm about to share how you guided me and brought me to you others. Give me the words we ask that the Holy Spirit be present to open our hearts that we can apply this knowledge that you've given me to them and then that they too can live it as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright. Who's been to South Africa? Who's been to South Africa? No one? Tried twice. Oh, you tried twice. <laughs> You're not missing it. Oh, you been? Cape, Cape Town. Beautiful place. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in, in, in Durban. Durban's on the east coast of South Africa. And then my mum is from East London, which is another... It's southeast of, uh, of Durban. It's about 800 kilometers further down on the corner there, on the eastern side. And we lived in a little town called East London. Same as London, but we had the same streets as London. Main Street and all. It, it was very funny, but anyway, that's the way it was. So anyway, it happened in 1998. Um, my wife came to me and said, we need to, need to migrate to Australia or migrate to another country because there's no future there's no future in, in South Africa anymore because at that stage the, the rand went from 5 rands to 1 dollar now it's 10, 12 rands to 1 dollar now so the money is very small and uh, I'll give you a bit of description what's, what's it like uh, the house block is about I would say a thousand squares right Around the house, we've got a 12-foot wall. On top of the 12-foot wall, we've got half a meter of electric fencing. That is the normal living conditions. On each window and door, we've got bars that's 12 mil thick on the windows and on the doors. If you don't have that, you won't be able to sleep at night. Plus a security alarm system as well. And two big dogs. So you're practically living in a prison of your own house. That is the norm for a South African. And to, to move from that kind of living and coming to Australia is, oh, it's amazing. It's really amazing. So over there, I had to work. I was driving semi-trailers back there. My wife was doing nursing. And the money covered the rent, the rates, I mean not the rent, the, the vehicle registration, the food, and that was it. There was no money for, for savings. It was tough. It was very tough. And um, it was, life was stressful because I was a Hindu back then and we both were Hindus and uh, we didn't know Jesus Christ. It was hard. Um, we go in the morning, come back in the evening. Sometimes when I used to go driving trucks, we'd be away for four days, five days. Sometimes you're not sure of returning home alive. Most truck drivers get hijacked at gunpoint. They'll either shoot you and just take your truck away from you or they'll tie you up and give you mercy and leave you in the bush and take your truck um, I used to drive from Durban to Johannesburg uh, it's about 1200 kilometers I used to only stop once I used to have six tanks on the truck for fuel and take me one way straight through, no stop for fuel because theft is so bad you can't go out at night after 6 o'clock. You get mugged, you get robbed and get killed. Uh, my cousin was driving his 
well, my uncle's very rich, and his son was driving a 3 Series Cabriolet BMW. This is the old one, I think it was 1990 model, convertible, red one, soft top. And he came to a four-way intersection and he was hijacked at gunpoint from both sides, left and right. He was very fortunate they didn't shoot him, but they took the car. They never found the car after then. I think it was by the grace of God that he's still alive. There is no dole system in, in, in South Africa. No dole system at all. If you get unemployment, it's unemployment only for six months. After that, before that, you have to find work. Otherwise, you'll have no income at all. I think that is why poverty is so high there. And amongst the black population, they're the highest. Then you get the Indians, then you get the coloreds, then you get the whites. And the uh, majority of the blacks are unemployed. So what they do for the living, they steal. My brother-in-law, he's in the, um, he's a police force in, in, in Durban, and he used to do vehicle recovery. They used to chase these people that steal the vehicles because of the tracking in the thing. And you won't believe it, out of 10 traces, they only managed to catch five. They find the tracking before the people could get all of them, and they throw the tracking out the window. And um, he was close to losing his life as well with, it, with that, it was a side job. But then he decided to stop doing it because the money wasn't worth his life. And uh, so it came to 1998. So my wife said, oh, we'll have to go, to have to go overseas somewhere. So she being a nurse, Australia was looking for people. So we applied for immigration. And uh, I was still driving back there, but I was doing local driving, so which wasn't too bad. I used to start about what, six and finish about five, six o'clock. But just local deliveries, which is really good. Uh, I got less pay for it, but it kept me closer to home. And um, I got more chance of you know, being alive than dead. And uh, so she applied for immigration and um, it was, it took us almost two years before it finally came through. Australia doesn't take anybody. You've got to have their criteria to come to this country. And the most important thing was, I was underage, just under the, the, the legal requirement, and my wife had a degree in nursing. That is why we came to Australia. So we got permanent residence from day one. And this happened in the early part of 1990, uh, the late part of 1999. And we had to sell up the furniture. We just bought a new car, it was a Mazda 323. We, had, we gave it to my father-in-law because he, had no, he, had, he hadn't, didn't have a decent vehicle to move around, so we gave it to him. The car only had like 30,000, 40,000 Ks on it. We couldn't bring it with us because we had no money for shipping and stuff like that. Uh, and we sold the furniture, so we had traveler's checks for about 10,000, 12,000, was it, rands? Say 15,000 rands. And uh, we then said goodbyes and we left, left South Africa in 2000. Arrived here in January on a Monday. Now, had we booked accommodation from from South African side, it would have cost us more money. But we didn't have that extra cash, so we we just flew over. Now we came to Australia on a Monday morning with nowhere to go, no one to receive us. We got through customs. Everything went okay. We had six suitcases with us, and that was it. And they're travelers' checks. Which city? Brisbane. 
Because when they asked us in the immigration way we were going to go to, we looked at the line of latitude and we looked straight from South Africa, the same climate, so we chose Brisbane. <laughs> and it was like, we go to Brisbane. <laughs> that was it. And uh, yeah, so we finally got through customs and uh, we bought a newspaper, sat on a bit. Now remember, we had a 10 hour flight from South Africa to Kuala Lumpur and then a break about five hours, another 10 hour flight, actually 11 hour flight from Kuala Lumpur straight to Brisbane. So we were jet lagged because the hours from South African time and Australian time is an eight hour difference. And so we bought the newspaper and we started looking for accommodation. And uh, we didn't know where to start because we didn't know what procedure they got here. So I must say, Australian people are very friendly. Yet you still get the few that are very friendly, very helpful. And uh, we asked, we said, go ask the cab driver, they know a lot of stuff. So when you go ask the cab driver, I'm a person I can open up to anybody to speak. And uh, yeah, so he said to me, oh, look under LJ Hooker for accommodation, they'll help you. And so we got the phone number, we rang them up, we said, oh, we've got a few houses for renting, you can come have a look. So we took our first taxi from the airport to Ipswich Road, Annerley, the top end of Annerley. So the LJ Hooker was on the corner there, they moved from there now. And we put our six suitcases inside the estate agent. They gave us a handful of keys for four houses. They said, take a walk down the road. He said, you coming with us? No, just down the road. There's a number, so you go have, have a look. And we look at this house and we see the houses on stilts, you know, concrete things like this we never seen before, you know? Looked a bit weird. <laughs> and then we went to one house and I looked at the, at the mosquito mesh. I'm thinking, this is not going to protect us. A little flimsy mosquito mesh on the inside of the windows and doors. There's no bias or anything. You know, you're coming from a place where theft is so bad, you, that was the norm. And now you come to a place where you've got mosquito netting. <laughs> it, it was strange. Anyway, we had a look at a few houses, but it wasn't really up to stop what we were looking for because we had no furniture with us. And the houses that we looked at didn't have what we were looking for as well. And then we went back to the Asian doors, came back towards about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And we went back to the um, agent and we said, uh, you got anything else? And they said, oh yeah, we got one house in Cooper Room, a unit, uh, fully furnished, one bedroom unit. I said, yeah. I said, we'll take it. I said, she said, we'll take it. I said, we haven't seen it. Oh, we'll take it. So we paid a deposit for it and they gave us the keys and we took another cab from there straight to Cooper Room. And she paid the driver, I went inside, I had a look around, I came out smiling so she knew it was what we were looking for. It was fully carpeted, it had a fridge, stove, you know, everything that we needed, the bed and everything. So it just worked out. And uh, by 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock that afternoon, we were having a cup of tea in Australia. Not knowing anybody. There's no family of us here. And uh, the next day, well, we slept for about two days to recover from the jet lag. <laughs> and then after that, uh, we went a bit of, to do a bit of shopping, which was down the road. I think Myers was there because we didn't know where the cheap shops were and we have no idea. So we just bought some stuff that we needed to buy, like pillows and sheets and stuff like that, you know. And we carried it home. <laughs> we carried it home. And it was all exciting because we were starting a new life, you know. And um, now, but this time, we were still Hindus. Now, in a Hindu custom, you light a lamp every morning and you pray to an idol. And that's what we still did. We still continue with that because we brought our idol with us. And back home, if mom and dad said, you go to temple, you go to temple, you don't argue with them. It was respect to them. If they say get up and do something, you don't say you'll do it later, you get up and do it now. Because if you don't get up and do it now, you know what comes after it? The belt. There's no talking. It's just straight. There's no time to there's no time to, to chat. I grew up in that kind of environment. And but by then he just spoke to me and and I listened to him because I knew it was right. And 
At home, we never ate pork. We ate, um, what was it? Lamb and chicken. That was, that was, and, and, and vegetables, that was the main diet. Even chicken was like once, once a fortnight or something. It wasn't the everyday thing. Same with lamb as well, but mostly vegetables in between. And, uh, well, we didn't know anything about health messages back then. We just followed what mom cooked and we ate what mom cooked, you know? And, uh, yeah, so back in Australia, uh, yeah, we, we, we did a few shopping. We went back home and we sort of settled down. And then uh, I think it was within two weeks, Leela started work because they sent her paperwork to Canberra to the head office and then it had to wait, from, wait for it to come from Canberra back to Brisbane so she can get up to start work and then she applied at this nursing home which was about a kilometer, almost two kilometers away from where we stayed. Now we had no car so we walked. So she worked night shift so I used to walk, to work, walk with her to work and then she used to walk back in the morning. Now our licenses didn't qualify for Australia. Although we changed it to international license back in South Africa, it cost us money. To them it said it was only valid for six months. So we had to do our licenses over. So I had a B double license, so now I decided to go to a semi-license because I found out the pay rate on a B double license was 44 cents a kilometer, where the pay rate on a semi-trailer was 36 cents a kilometer. So you, you're actually working twice as hard for a little bit extra money. So I went for the same trailer because I only had enough money for that anyway. So, I, so in the meantime, I went for my license and then I started working. Uh, no, I didn't start working yet. I was still at home. And the wife started working. And um, it, let's see, six, six months down the, down the road, um, we bought our first house. We found that the government was giving money to the to, to first homeowners or first homeowners grant, and we qualified because we were residents of Australia, and we took a, took you know, took a bite of the opportunity, and we got the loan on my wife's name because I wasn't working and she was working, and the bank strange that time the bank would give you like five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand. Wife said, no, we don't want that money. We only want a hundred thousand. <laughs> because in case something happens, either one of us can still pay the, the mortgage because there's no one to help us. And uh, yeah, so we Yeah, so we took a hundred thousand loan and we bought this house and then we moved in and by God's grace that Monday I started working. Don't ask me how this works, but God's good all the time. So I started casual work and I was doing the labor hire for $25 an hour. So I started working on the east side of Brisbane for six months, and then on the west side for six months, and then on the north side. And by this time I was trying to get, get hold of the road network and which way to go. I got lost many times. I even turned the, the map down to see which way I'm going. But never do that because it doesn't work. You get more lost. But always ask somebody and the people are very helpful. And, uh, yeah, so I got lost a few times, but I found my way. But even when I go to Brisbane now, I, I know I know the road network because you don't forget up here, you know. And um, yeah, so she she was at work and she found a little piece of paper, "Life After Death" by Jeff Yulden. He was having a seminar down at uh, Griffith University. This is not far from where we stay. And we still didn't have a car then, so we walked and she said uh, she saw this piece of paper at the nursing home on the, on, on the, in the lounge area on the table. It's a little pamphlet like, like this, you know, piece of paper. And uh, the dates, time start, and she came to tell me about it. Because my mom used to read the Bible, but her, her dad was a, a Catholic, Catholic uh, Christian. But she didn't used to go to church because dad used to like the lab, but she used to sort of... Now, when a wife gets married to a husband, they follow their custom, they don't do their own thing. But she always used to read the Bible, like, almost quite often. 
but I didn't know what version it was because I never got to see it or, or, or read it. Anyway, um, so we, the piece of paper was on there on the Monday when my wife told me about it. The Friday came, it was still there on the, on, on the, on the, on the, on the lounge table, nobody taken it. So she brought it home. And we looked at the address, it was down the road, so it was starting on the, on, on the Monday. It was, it was three times Monday, Wednesday and the Friday. And we ended up walking and going down to the seminar. We went inside and Jeff Euland gave a good description of all the churches. And he came down to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and he showed him how they followed the Seventh-day Adventist Church, follows God commandments, not man commandments. And he went through the comparison and everything. He did a very good job illustrating, especially us, because we, we, we came from a total, you know, from Hindu background, it's, it's, it's a different, totally different to, to Christian background. A Christian life is, is a beautiful life. Amen. You know, it's a blessing to be a Christian. And um, so after that seminar finished, by the grace of God, we went, we attended all within Miss Not One, and then we, then, David Price, uh, not 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 uh, not Price, the old fellow, his son, David Price. He he was running the next series at uh, Eight Mile Plains Church, which was on Revelation. And boy, that was tough. You know about the beast and which is this horn and uh, I was lost in my head. <laughs> but anyway, we didn't reject the message. We accepted the message, and I think it was God that was the Holy Spirit, and God was was with us. And uh, finally, that was finished, and in 2002, we got baptized together at Eight Mile Plains Church. We found out about, while we are doing the study, we found out about the health message. So, so whatever bad habits went out the door, at the same, same time we found out about it. We took the idol and we buried it in the backyard, so there's no more idol. We got the King James Bible. We got a free copy of the King James Bible from a seminar, both of us. So we started reading that, and the change started taking slowly. And I went when I got baptized. I thought I'll get the change straight away because I went under the water. Said I know this is going to happen, and I'll be a new person. And I got out. And I felt the same. <laughs> I thought, you know. Uh, there will be a difference, but I felt exactly the same. And I, and I asked the pastor, he said, no, just, you've got to give it time. It doesn't happen overnight. Because baptism is an outward expression. That's you giving your life to Christ. But the real heart of it is when, I'm, I'm coming to that point. Um, yeah, so we were now going attending the church at Eight Mile Plains. And... Uh, yeah, so we kept walking to the church and walking back and then we had enough money now. We had some money for, for a car, so we decided to have a look at the car now. From Kuparu we walked, it was 35 degrees that day, I won't forget it. We walked from Kuparu to the car sales in Ipswich Road, you know they got car sales there? And we looked around and we looked around and my wife said, I'm not going walking back, it's too hot, I'm going to buy a car and drive home. And that's what we just, that's what we just did. We bought a little little Daewoo two-door hatchback and we drove home. It, it, I think we spent $4,000 for it or something like that. And uh, me being a mechanic, I, 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 sort of, I, I knew what we were looking for and stuff like that. So we drove it home and then there was the first car. So when I started working, I used to drop Leela off or I used to go early, she used to drop me off and then she used to use the car and she used to work like that, you know. And uh, because we, we didn't know anybody, so our church family in Eight Mile Plains became our friends and our, and our family. So we got to know a few things like where to buy certain stuff for a diet and all that stuff. And then we found out about Sister White and, and all about country living and all that stuff. And, uh, but we didn't implement the country living yet. It, we were still staying down in Brisbane. and. Uh, so we bought our first house in Kuparu and then so eight months later, yeah, eight months later when we paid sort of, we bought the mortgage down a bit and then we looked at another place in, uh, 
uh, with it uh, just trying to ignore us, ignore folk. Oh. Um, one of the suburbs in Brisbane, I just can't get the name now. Uh, anyway, it's not far from Wellington Point in that area. Anyway, so we bought the house there and uh, we upgrade the mortgage back to 100,000. So in case anything happens, we can still manage it. Because we come from a country where money is, you got to be careful how you spend. You know, you, you sort of think twice, look at a book and see if you really need it before you buy it. <laughs> not just go out and get it because you have to get it, you know? And uh, yeah, so we're both working now and then I bought my first ute, uh, it was a, uh, a Triton ute, I bought a brand new, this is the first thing I ever bought in Australia, brand new. And uh, not knowing that that would come in handy, so we shifted our furniture to this next place where we bought with that. And uh, we stayed there and uh, we asked like the, the financier that gave us the finance, you know, the bank, not actually a bank, a financier through a friend from the church, uh, how do you pay the mortgage off because, you know, we don't want to tie ourselves for 25 years, we're just too long. Uh, and then he said, no, you've got to pay weekly and you've got to do this and you've got to not pay before three and a half years because they penalize you and all that stuff. So by this time now, I've started working, driving trucks in Brisbane. So I was doing uh, container shuttling. I used to go to the wharf, pick up a container, go to the dock, dock it there, they unload it, go back, empty it, do that. So sometimes it depends on the load. You do three times a day, sometimes you can only do one. Depends if it's hand unload. And it was a very easy job. I loved it, playing in the traffic and, <laughs> and going back and forth and stuff like that. And um, by this time I was earning about 900 a week and I was putting that money straight into the mortgage. And dealer's money went to the savings and, and, and you know, the, the insurance for the cars and stuff like that. And uh, seven years later, we were debt free. From the time we came to Australia, seven years later, we were debt free. And I've got to talk about this because this is important. Tide, tide. When we were doing our our Bible study, they spoke about tithe, and that was new to us. We never heard of such a thing. But you know, good God is, it's amazing. Uh, they, so God, they said, now you pay 10% either on your cross or your net. They, they don't tell you, they don't tell you that you've got to pay on your cross. But we, we thought about it back and we did a bit of research and we found out you've got to pay on your cross because everything is the Lord's, not yours. So you tithe on the cross. So we started tithing 10% and then we increased it to 12, 13%. And you can never outgive God. Amen. You give him a wheelbarrow, he gives you a front end loader back. Let me tell you that. That's why in seven years we were debt free. I know we don't have kids, but this is what happened. And uh, by now we're deciding where are we going to move to now? Because we paid for the house off. And, uh, and okay, I'll have to take you back a bit now about the Sabbath. When I was doing labor work, I was working for that uh, labor hire job. Uh, the first three months I was offered a permanent job. And it was one week on, one week off, and it fell on the Sabbath. I said, no, I can't work on Saturdays. He said, oh, we like you because you, you're dedicated, you do your work and stuff like that. I said, I'm not going to work on Saturdays because I go to church. Oh, it's your choice. Okay, the job is gone. Then I was working for another place and same thing happened again. And I said, no, I'm not going to work on Saturdays. So I turned that job down. Then the third time, I was offered a job and I said to him, I can only work Monday to Friday, I'm not going to work Saturday. He said, oh, I don't need you on Saturdays. You can work Monday to Friday, that's fine. And that's when I got that truck driving job. So you put God first and He'll take care of you. You've got to put Him first. That brings me, now we're in the church for about what is it? Seven, eight years now in the church. 
and this is down in Gimpi Church and uh, a brother and a sister gave us a DVD on Herb Larson. Who have heard of Herb Larson yeah? He tells you shares of his chasing after things in life and, and he found out that the true thing he was chasing was Christ. Until he found Christ, he found peace. And it talks about Matthew 6.3.3. Let's go to that text. Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. In the New Testament, first book. This is how important this text is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I like using the King James Version because it's closer to the original. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What does this mean? When he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I didn't know about it. When I was in the church and I got into the church, I didn't know about reading the Bible and stuff every day. Because I was a new Christian, I thought, you get baptized and boom, you change what happened to you. <laughs> and everything will work out fine. But it doesn't work out that way. So, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be. What we have to do is put God, put God first in our life. And that is make him, make him number one. Now what I mean by this is that when we make him number one, he's got to be number one in all things. In decision making, in marriage, in, 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 in uh, commitments, in, in everything, you've got to put God first. So, the first thing is, spending, this is important, spending time with God. Right. I started doing this in 2007, 2000, yeah, 2007. And uh, by this time I was driving the truck. And I had to leave two o'clock in the morning. Now, I normally get up at, I normally get up at about three to four. That was my, my hour, I just spent one hour. One hour I just spent uh, reading the Bible and reading one, one, reading one chapter, one psalm and one proverb. And then I'll go to the commentary and I'll go over the same thing again. And that's what I used to do. So I started doing that. But now I had to leave that home at 2 o'clock to get to a destination where I had to go with the truck. So I got up at one o'clock in the morning. This is what I mean of putting God first. So I got up at one o'clock in the morning. I did my, my, I did my one hour. And then I left at two. And this always happened to me, like if I left at 4 o'clock, I got up at 3 o'clock. If I left at 12 o'clock, I got up at 11 o'clock. But I always make sure I went to bed at 6.30, 7 o'clock. And being a truck driver, you only get used to 7 hours sleep, and I was only used to 7 hours sleep, no more than that. Because it comes automatically after doing it so many years. So, putting God first. So I started, I started reading the Bible when I heard about Herb Larson every morning, every, and then I started reading and I thought, now nothing's happening. First month went by, nothing's happening. Second month went by, nothing's happening. I'm still getting up every morning, 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock, I'm still reading the Bible, nothing happened. Fourth month went by, still nothing happened. I'm still getting up, I'm still determined, I'm still reading. 
After the sixth month, it all started happening. A piece of paper I got out, and I started reading the, writing the text from what I was reading, and that's how I put my sermons together. Not by mine, by God's will. That's how my message comes to God is amazing. He sees and he watches you and sees if you are determined to do it. I think it was perseverance that overcame everything. Because I didn't give up. I just kept at it. And now my wife is doing the same thing. Because she saw me, she saw the difference in me. And when I, when I got baptized and we went, uh, you know, a big camp is down in Calandra. And uh, we went to help with the tents. It was on a Sunday. The first time we went up to meet the rest of the church family there, and we were all up there, we were setting up tents. And the sense of peace came on to me, and I asked, you know, David Price, what is this? He said, no, it must be the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because when somebody used to tell me something or insult me, I used to always retaliate. But once I became a Christian and I found out about this peace that surpasses all understanding, you don't retaliate. You don't. I can't quote scripture like some people do. But God is good. All the time. And He's given me that peace. You know, I, I thought Christians, all Christians experience this peace, you know. But not all Christians experience peace. When you just surrender your will to Christ, this is what's important. When you surrender your will to Christ, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not good. When you surrender your will to Christ, Christ becomes in charge, not you. When you give your heart to Christ, Christ takes in charge, not you. And that's when your Christian life starts growing. That's when you really understand what's important in life. That the person out there in the street that doesn't know Jesus is your responsibility to help him, to share with him. And the other thing also, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. This is also a good text of mine. We'll go to chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. If I go over the time, you have to speak to God. These words are mine. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we surrender ourselves to Christ, and we give our heart to Christ, Christ is in charge, right? When we have burdens and stuff in our life, we have to give it to Christ. We have to give it to Christ. But Christ is in charge. He said to me in this, in this text, Come unto me, all those who are heavy laden the burden, I will give you rest. He understands that we cannot handle it. That's why he says in this text, give it to me, I'll take it for you, I'll take care of it. Becoming a Christian is, is a daily growth. Prayer, talk about prayer. Every morning, after, before reading the Word, I invite the Holy Spirit before opening the Word. Let's read the Word. One case, I was traveling to Tuwuma with a truck. It was about four o'clock in the morning. One of the wheels was starting to smoke in the trailer. Pitch black, nobody in sight. I pull up on a yellow, yellow line. There was no place to pull up. What am I gonna do now? I don't have tools. So I prayed about it, I said, Lord, I need your help. 10 minutes went by, 15 minutes went by, 20 minutes went by, the truck pulled up behind me. 
with the admin hazard lights on? Could you see that from a distance? Oh, you need a hand. I said, yes, I need some spanners, and he showed me what to do, and we released that. Some air valve was locking on the trailer brake, so he showed me what to do, and he gave me a hand with it. He went underneath, and he helped me fix it. And then I asked him, what made you stop? He said, he doesn't know. He said, he doesn't know. But I know. I know who it was. That's just one example. I've got many, many others to share with you. Um, right, so wh where was I now? We were, yes, I started reading the Bible. We claimed these two verses, Matthew 6, 3, 3 and uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Those are my favorite texts. So we found out about country living and then we bought a place up at Glenwood. Glenwood's 40 k's north of Gimby. And um, first we started looking around the areas there, but down, property down in Brisbane was very expensive. Very, very expensive. It couldn't, we didn't want to go into a big mortgage. We wanted to utilize the money we had from the property without, you know, buying another place without going to the bank. Anyway, we came up to this place and we looked around at Bopel, we looked around at, at Kara, that area is there, and finally we went to Glenwood. And I think they call Glenwood because there's a lot of trees there, a lot of gum trees. It is packed. And behind Glenwood you've got a forestry. That forestry runs back towards Tincan Bay. And uh, so we went up, it was just a block of land. And we looked around, that day we started looking at Kara, Popo, and, went and finally ended up in Glenwood. And, and the fellow said, there's this one place up in Glenwood, you can have a look at it. I said, okay, we'll go with him, and we had a look at it. And I walked up the top, and it, uh, it, it felt right, you know, you know in your heart, that's the right place. And uh, we went down back in, we said, uh, what's the offer? He said, oh, we look at 90,000 for the land, it was an acre and a half. Soil wasn't good, but it, it was a property, you know. So anyway, uh, we said to him, we'll pay cash, bring your boss now, tell him what to offer, we'll pay cash. And he said, 90,000, I'll ring your boss. And he rang the boss, and he came back to him the next five minutes, he said, we'll give it you for 74,000. So we, we took it for 74,000. And, uh, so we sold the place up at Brisbane, and then we moved up and rented the place up in Old Maryborough Road in Gimby, and that's the time we started building the house. And uh, by now we were familiar with Ellen White's writing, and we started the trees, got the trees up, planted, got the garden set it out with automatic irrigation. Uh, I had two areas of 20 meters by 6 meters covered with shade cloth, and and. God's amazing again. No bees could get in, but I always got produce. Don't ask me how that works. No bees could get in, but I always got produce. And the veggies and stuff that I grew out of there was just amazing. You know, when you grow your own stuff, it's so fresh. And uh, uh, after we were there about, let's see, 10, 11 years, almost 12 years, and then we decided, no, we'll move to the, to the country, you know, a, a bigger place. And we had the house on the market for about six months, uh, seven months, eight months, and nothing happened. And it wasn't the right time to sell. And then, came forward to this time, December last year, we started looking. Now, we didn't know what God's plan was, but as I said to you, Matthew 6, 3, 3, seek your first the kingdom of God, so ask God what's the best thing to do. So we did. And it wasn't time for us to move that time when we had the house in the market, but this time it, it, it all happened. Uh, we started looking for a place in September last year. We went up as far as Jinjin and a bit north of Jinjin. And there was three properties out there that we wanted, but it was 160,000, under. 80,000, it was 120 acres, one was almost 180 acres. I said, that's too big, We're not gonna, you're not gonna need so big place. But the place is nice. I said, yeah, but 
payment? Where's the money come from? So anyway, we had money for the house, but we, you got to spend it wisely, you know? You can't just waste. And uh, by the time we, we went to arrange finance, because the house was on the market, it was not sold yet, we had the savings, and the savings only came up to about close to 95000 not more than that. So that wouldn't cover property that we wanted. So we looked and we looked and we looked and as we're looking the properties were going like this, like that, like that. And because of the, I think uh, people were just buying up places. And we finally came to this one on uh, Isis Road uh, where we're staying now. And uh, they wanted 135 for 45 acres. And it's got two small dams and it's not very big. Um, so, my wife said, we'll give you 120. And they went back to their, to their estate agents and they went back to the attorneys and back and forth. And then, okay, finally 120. Now, remember I told you we only had 95,000. 90,000 95,000. And COVID started, so I lost my job driving driving the airport bus. Oh, that's another story, I appreciate that with you. Uh, so anyway, um, we, yeah, so we, we, we put the deposit on it, so the money's got to go into the attorney's trust account until the total money amount is, so we asked for a, we asked for a leeway of three months and the, the buyer agreed. Uh, so we were short of 25 grand actually and uh, we I went back to my old boss and I did some truck driving he had some casual work for me and then we had some returns from the tax re tax return and God provided the balance of it and we paid for the property cash and once the pop property was paid the house was sold God is good. So we never went to the bank. Although we, we did go to the bank, we would deal with Bank of Queensland for 20 odd years when we came to Australia. Really. That was the first bank. And they refused to give us a small mortgage of, of $16,000. Even if we agreed to pay it back in a short time. We don't qualify because we're both casual workers. I said, what is, is this a service thing? He said, no, it's not a service thing anymore. You don't qualify. So, when we found out about that, we closed our bank account at Bank of Queensland <laughs> and we said goodbye to them because they weren't prepared to help us. And we moved to Westpac because Westpac was prepared to help us but we didn't actually get any money from them. We just uh, changed our banks. And uh, so we paid for the property and we're still living in Glenwood. And the house was sold. Before the house was sold, we were shifting furniture already. Now on the property, it's got a double garage. That's all it's got, nothing else. No power, nothing. And bush. I couldn't walk, we couldn't walk from the gate to the shed. It was grassless by a meter and a half high. So I had to get a brush cutter and brush cut the whole place from the gate to where the shed is, which is 220 meters. It took me three Sundays to do that. So we finally got in. Worked up the trailer to the to the four-wheel drive, brought the furniture. Every every weekend we used to bring a full load up. Pack the furniture, the boxes, every weekend we used to bring. And just me and the wife, nobody else. And we finally got everything in there. And then December, Leela applied for a job here at, at, at Childress and uh, they weren't needing anybody. God is so good because the transfer deal was supposed to happen in December but moved to January, mid-January. And when Leela came up to, to this side mid-January, there was a job vacant in children's. And you worked that out. And she just started, she went into Friday and she started on Monday. So she left Gimpy and she's now working up at Children's Medical Center. This is what God is, he's good. We have to put our trust in Christ. We have to claim the promises. 
It's all there. This is, this is the word of God. We have to follow it. We have to fulfill it. We have to claim these promises. And we have to put it in our heart. Right. Finish that. Finish that. Yes. I was driving truck for about, for a while now in Brisbane and I got tired of it because I used to run from sometimes places up from Brisbane to Cairns or Brisbane to Townsville and because I had a 14 hour logbook it gave me 14 hour legal time to drive so you do your 5 hours and then you have your five, half an hour break you do your 5 hours and then you do your 2 hours and then you have half an hour break and then you have 2 hours that's your 14 hour because I did basic fatigue management which allows you to do that legally and I used to drive and uh, I got tired of that because it was just too much. I, I, I like the job because I got to see places in Australia. <laughs> There's one place I went through from between Townsville and uh, what's this place? Uh, out, out towards the mines. I traveled for 11 hours. I didn't see anybody on the road. I had no network on the phone, no radio reception, nothing. I had a speed cruise at 100 kilometers an hour. I hadn't seen anybody for that time period. The, thing, the only thing I saw was two emus in the bush. That is all I see. And that is only through central Queensland. It's not even on the outback. That's how big Australia is. And when you see a road train coming, you t the two-way works, and then you can tell it. Okay, you pull over, if it's, if it's a triple road train, you pull over, he goes past. Or if it's a car and a four-wheel drive coming, you stay on the road, they pull over. So that's the way you communicate. And uh, out there in the sticks, you got big kangaroos, really big kangaroos. If you car eat it, that's the end of the story. And uh, by the grace of God, I never knock anything. I was good with the Lord's help. And uh, yeah, so I enjoyed that and then I said to the Lord, you take control. You find me the job that I need to find. And I prayed about it because I gave up truck driving once and I went back to it. I gave up truck driving the second time and I went back. It's the third time now. This is, a, this is when this part comes and surrender your word to Christ. Let him take control. So I said, Lord, you find the job for me. You know what I need? Job. I prayed about it and there was a position open up for driving people to the airport and uh, it only was three days a week but I liked it because, I, because you pick up people from their home like a door-to-door -door service and you take them to an uh, international or domestic airport and then you wait for about an hour, hour and a half to pick up people on the return trip back and it's to drive a Mercedes 15-seater, uh, 16-seater Mercedes bus which was really very comfortable, air-conditioned, and I loved it. And the best part of it is, I used to give out literature. I gave out great controversy to the people. Oh, you want a good book to read? Yeah, 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 it's traveling to, back to London. I gave them great controversy. And they didn't know, I, I was praying for these people. My prayer list for salvation goes over a hundred people. Because every time I gave a book out, I wrote their name down and I started praying for them. Do you know what the blessing it is to pray for someone else? Forget self. The Lord knows what you need. He'll look after you. Pray for other people. Their prayers are more important. Their lives are more important than yours. That's what Jesus did. Exactly that. He left the throne of God to come to, to humanity because He loved us so much. He wanted born to be Reunited. That's why he went to the cross. So that's how we ended up where we are now. And uh, it's a little journey, but it's, it's an amazing journey because when you have Christ in you, your life changes. Amen. It changes. And it changes for the better. And you see things in a different way. You understand things in a different way. You appreciate life more. And you follow the laws of health, you know? And since I've been a Christian, I only had the flu once. Once. 
I just do what's right. I do what, the God, what God says. That's important. That's what we need to do. You know? This COVID, what we're going through, is just the beginning of, of sorrow times. The only thing it's going to carry us through is the faith and the character of Christ embedded in the heart. That's the only thing that's going to take us through this. If we don't have that, we're going to be lost. Sister White says clearly in her writings, many people will be lost. You go to the book of Revelation, I think it's 20 or 22. Many people as the grains of the sand will be lost. We have the writings, we have the scripture. We need to spend time in Christ. If we don't, we're going to lose eternity. Once saved, always saved. It's the biggest bluff you could ever come across. And the other thing is, the person say, oh, believe, just believe. It doesn't work like that. You've got to surrender your heart and your will to Christ. Then only the change will come. I, I wasn't a preacher. I was just an elder at Gimby Church. And uh, when I started reading the Bible, I started putting messages together and I offered Away, I decided to go preach, offer the pastor, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go and see what it's like, you know. And I gave him, the, I gave him the, the, the message and he said, oh, why are you talking about Sister White? Why are you talking about this White? I'm talking about a seven-day Adventist pastor. I was committed to God to write the thing by the Holy Spirit. All right, take it home. He said, oh, you've got to rewrite it, take it home and then share it. So the next step was my turn to share the message. And I went up there to the front and I shared exactly what I wrote down on that piece of paper. And nobody liked me. They hated me. Because I shared the truth. Then I started going to Kena Church. And I started going to Maryborough Church. And I started going to Yandila Church. Because they loved it. They wanted to hear more of it. It's sad. It's really sad how we walked away from God. How we've rejected Sister White's writings. I mean, there's no more prophet coming after her. She's the last prophet. If we don't heed to the message, we're going to be lost. I'll tell you how I bought the four-wheel drive. This is a funny one. Uh, we were still in Gimpy. Uh, we're still staying in Glenwood. And uh, I was driving the truck that time. And uh, my wife and I went to look at it and we wanted a, a dual cab so we can, you know, would carry more people in it because we had, we had the, the Triton Ute at that time still. And uh, we went around to Toyota and they wanted, what, 60, no, at that time it was 55,000 for the four-wheel drive. Just your basic four-wheel drive, nothing fancy. And then I said to them, I've got 40,000 or maybe 42,000 maximum. Can you work it? No, can't work it. You only give $1,000 off. That's it. Nothing else. So I ended up at, we ended up at Nissan. Nissan was the only person we could sit down and talk to. And I ended up getting this Nissan Nevada. It's now, what's it, 12? Yeah, what, 12 years old. It's got 175,000 Ks on it. It doesn't miss a beat. Uh, when you give your car to Christ, God works amazing things, you know that? On that set of tires, the first set of tires, I did 75,000 kilometers. That was bridge, that was, um, uh, what do they call it? The Australian time? Bridgestone. Bridgestone, yeah, Bridgestone. Then I put a set of BF Goodrich's on there. I've done already 112,000 kilometers with this BF Goodrich. I've still got it on my four-wheel drive. I haven't had but one flat tire. When you give your stuff to Christ and it belongs to Him, it will last. It will last. If somebody needed a tow or something, I'll go and help him. Because it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to Christ. So, as I said to you, I get my message through the Word, as I spend time in the Word. And I was sharing at Kimby Church, and then I started 
between the other churches down Hyandina, Abbey Bay, Maryborough. Well, not much Abbey, mostly Maryborough and Hyandina. And uh, they like this faith message. I shared one message with them about prayer and the importance of prayer. And I went a bit over time, but nobody complained because it was important to listen to. Prayer is the breath of the Christian life. If we don't pray, we have no communion with God. Adam and Eve walked in the garden and they spoke to God. That is what Christ wants with us. He wants to commune with us through prayer. If we don't commune through, through prayer to Christ now, how are we going to get to heaven? Who are we going to speak to? I asked God for a big church. This is a funny one. <laughs> because I, I like sharing the message. I said, God, give me the big church. And guess what? Give me children's church. When I first came here, I saw two people. It was Kathy and Amy. No one else. And I started praying about it. I said, Lord, send some people. Send some people that you think is the right for this church. And then slowly but surely, it's building up. But this is the grace of God. I'm still praying for that. And I've got the Sunday Law book, I've given it out to the whole of Childers. Each Wednesday I should do one, two streets, and eventually I did the whole, whole of Childers with the Sunday Law book. Are we doing that? Are we sharing our message with other people? Are we praying for our neighbors? Do we know our neighbors? Are we praying for them? They, they are our brothers and sisters. Doesn't matter if they're not walking in Christ. Our job is to plant the seed. That's all we have to do. The Holy Spirit does the rest. Yeah, so he gave me the small church in Childers, and I'm happy he gave me small church. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to manage a big one. Whereas Gimpy uh, were, were about 100, close to 100 people. And then the one in, uh, in uh, Brisbane at Eight Mile Plains was two servers. Uh, one was at uh, a morning service which was very very what I wanted was the Bible and hymns the second service was a rock concert I think that was was that was that's where I looked like that's the way it sounded like because the moment we finished they came in with their band and stuff and uh, yeah and then pastor used to ring me up our pastor from our church used to ring me up on Sabbath the whole week used to go past, but used to ring me up on Sabbath. And I finally got a message to him. I said, I'm, I'm not using my phone on Sabbath, I'm pushing it off. Because God asked us only one day for his time. And we can't do it now, we're not going to do it in heaven. He gives us six days to do our stuff. How gracious is he? How loving is he? And yet we tell, oh, I need to still do this, I need to still do that. Put your phone off for the Sabbath. So I put my phone off and I started making the commitment to God. You gotta make a stand. This one case where my wife was sharing, she used to do prelims at Kimbe Church. Now I'm not putting any church down, but you need to hear this. I was the elder at the church at that time. And uh, she normally does prelims, and prelims you normally read the story from the mission book, mission book. But she didn't read the story of the mission book. She got out Sister White's writings and she started speaking on reverence to Christ. And where the Bible says, where two or more present, I will be there amongst the mist. That's what Jesus said. So why are we not showing reverence in the church? Why are we not respecting that? Christ is present when there's two people gathered in His name. So she, she spoke about reverence, about not speaking in church, about worldly stuff. I'm guilty of a few things. I do it myself. But I'm asking God for strength each day to stop it. And that afternoon the pastor got 37 phone calls 
They didn't come to me, they went straight to my wife. They said, next week we've got a meeting with you and one of the elders in the church. So it was another, another elder, not me, and a pastor and my wife. And they went into the room. I was waiting in the church. And she said, they said, is there anything you want to say? She said to them, I shared what I was supposed to share and that's it. I'm not saying anything more. And they said, oh, you need certain, this is the pastor's words, you need hermeneutics to understand her writings because it's from her era. This is scary stuff. This is really scary. I'm talking about a Seventh-day Adventist pastor who is ordained by God to share the word. And I went up to him and the other and I said after the meeting, I said, if I was to do the same thing, I would do it. Because I know it's right in, in God's eyes. If you're committed by the Holy Spirit to say something, you go and do it. And you leave the consequences with God. He'll take care of you. They never liked my wife after that. And she, 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 she never came back to the church after that too. It's sad. It's really sad. It's heartbreaking. If we can't live with our brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we going to live with them in heaven? How are we going to do it? Jesus says in his words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Brothers and sisters, we have to take these promises. We have to write these promises on our heart. We have to spend time with God. We have to surrender our heart and our will to Christ and let Him take control of your life. Any decision making? Matthew 6.33 Seek you first the kingdom of God. These principles work. And to be a Christian in this day and era is the biggest blessing because Christ is coming soon. Don't worry about what's going on in the world. Worry about increasing your faith and the character of Christ in your heart because that's going to strengthen you to the time of trouble, nothing else. It's time to sing our last hymn, hymn number 632. Until then, I love the words of this hymn because it's so beautiful.